0: Welcome to City Church. We are a biblically based, relationally driven, spirit led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus, grow together, and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. Good morning. Uh, I've said this every time I preach at City Church, it feels weird to introduce myself. It feels weird not to introduce myself, because on the one hand, why would you know who I am? And on the other hand, most of you have known me since I was knee-high to a grasshopper. So, uh, my name is Peter. I am on the teaching team here, if there is such a thing. My father is the lead pastor of this church, but to make you feel better, I did go to seminary, twice in fact. I used to be so interesting. And then, um, and now... I teach at a, I teach at an all-boys boarding school in, um, in Western North Carolina. Uh-huh. Thank you. <laughs> yep. I've learned, I've learned a lot about teenage boys. Things that I thought I'd known, or perhaps had merely forgotten, or I might not be a boy at all. I don't know. <laughs> um, I, uh, it's an Episcopal boarding school. So those poor little dummies have to be in chapel three times a week. And I am one of the two chaplains. And so I, I preach somewhat regularly. And it's like 10-minute fully scripted sermons, which is great because they know I'm not making it up. Um, for all you know, I'm making this up right now. And, uh, and, and we wear, uh, wait, it's a cassock and then a, and then a cassock. What's it called? I wear a belt thing. And then a, an alb which is a big white thing, and then a a preaching scarf. So I look amazing. (laughs) But it is nice to go back to like four pages, no dresses, a somewhat different preaching style. Um, We're in a thing called the year of the kingdom. I know, I love it too. And the reason we're in a thing called the year of the kingdom is because if you were to ask Jesus like, hey, big guy, in three to five words, what's kind of your deal? Jesus would go, oh, the kingdom of God. So close. It is so close. And the, the notion is that kind of all the Christian life and all Christian thought lives in and through that claim. And so every series that we've done this year has had sort of guerrilla attacked the kingdom of God from a different angle. And this series is on Mark. We're walking through Mark because Mark is kind of the shortest and punchiest gospel. So you could get through it fast. And I, I was part of the group of people that were like, oh, and then we plan out the year in a big Excel spreadsheet. You know, we determine your spiritual lives on an Excel spreadsheet. No, um, and then and then we'll do this, and then we'll do that. And I remember writing in Mark eight and nine, and I was like, "Ha! Huh? What poor loser is going to get that one?" <laughs> have you have you read Mark eight and nine recently? If you've got a Bible, just look at it real fast. Mark eight and nine includes, in order, the feeding of the four thousand that weird thing about the leaven of the Pharisees, the blind guy in Bethsaida, Peter confessing Jesus as the Christ, Jesus' first foretelling of his death, the transfiguration, the boy with the demon, the second thing of his death, and the who's the greatest debate. I mean, it's like half the things anybody remembers from the Bible, all in two chapters. And so we gave it to Dick Foth. (laughs) Because he's the best of us. And then Dick got sick, and I got called in. So... I'm the poor loser that's preaching on Mark 8 and 9 this week, and to make it worse, and I will a little bit blame this on God. You know, you do that thing, you read through the chapters, and you're like, what speaks to me? What perhaps does the Lord want me to preach on? And I was like, oh, no, I think God wants me to preach on the the boy with the demon. And then my dad was like, I think that's right. So, sorry. (laughs) Trust me, if it was up to me, I'd have just told jokes. Um, but yeah, we're going we're gonna to do the boy with an unclean spirit, so we should probably pray. Let's pray. <laughs> Lord Jesus, um, we ask that the thing we are talking about would happen, you know, in this next couple minutes, if possible, that you would be present in the reading and proclaiming of your word, that you would be near to us as your body, and that your spirit would, um, make us a temple of your own presence, of your own power, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done among us as it is in heaven. We pray all this in your own name. Amen. Okay, so here's the last thing to happen before the kid with the demon shows up. Jesus does the transfiguration. Do you know what that is? Can you tell him a teacher now? Do you know what that is? Jesus goes in the transfiguration where he goes up a mountain with his brother, his best friend, and Peter, famous for always saying one too many things. And they, then Jesus becomes very shiny, which is, you know, surprising. And Moses appears, and Elijah. And Moses is the law, and Elijah is the prophets. And the thought is they prepare Jesus for his death. In the same way that the Torah per, for, sort of foretells The death of Israel's Christ, so also the law and the prophets, they give him pump-up speech. And then Jesus, uh, then Peter says one too many things. He's like, we should stay here. We should make tents. And that ruins it. And so Moses and Elijah disappear. And then they come back down the mountain. And as they're coming down the mountain, this happens. Okay. So when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them. And, and scribes arguing with the disciples. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw Jesus, assumedly because he's still kind of shiny, they were greatly amazed. And they ran up to him and they greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about? Or with them. And someone from the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought my son to you. For he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it, it throws him down And he foams and grinds his teeth and he becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out. And they couldn't. And he answered them, oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw Jesus, immediately it convulsed the boy And he fell on the ground and he rolled around and he foamed at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And the father said, From from childhood, and it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so most of them said, oh, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he rose And when Jesus entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why why could we not cast it out? And Jesus said to them, this kind cannot be cast out, cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Okay, uh, when I read the story, do you know what a Celtic prayer labyrinth is? Episcopalians love them, I've learned. They're like a circle thing, usually like in the back of a church. Like behind the building. And you, you're supposed to pray and you walk around the lairs, and you kind of get, you get closer and closer to the middle. And then you sort of arrive in the middle and you become a fully enlightened being. Now you arrive in the middle as you're praying and then you kind of walk out. And, and this is just me, but when I read this story, when I read this story, that's kind of what it felt like. Like the, the biblical authors um, are somewhat ahead of their time in their ability to be very conscious about where they throw their readers' attention. So like good novelists. And if you look at where Mark throws your attention, he kind of brings you like more and more slowly into the center of a very thorny problem. So on the outside, as Jesus is coming down a mountain, they saw a great crowd. I don't know about your experience with crowns, but I find them routinely unhelpful. I've been in one fight in my entire life. I was in second grade. I was even smaller than I am now. Can you believe it? And... Um, I didn't really know what was going on, but at some point I realized that me and this other kid, who was much more in shape than I was, were being surrounded by a circle. Now, I don't know what I did, but all of a sudden I was like, oh my gosh, we're in a fight. And I did as best I knew to do, which was to strike a Power Rangers pose. (laughs) I don't know if you know this either, but that doesn't work in real life. And so this kid walked entirely unimpeded across the circle and punched me in the face. And I stumbled back and I tripped over the board that holds the cut-up cheap tire stuff in the playground. Do you know what I mean? And I fell backwards crying and the crowd immediately disbanded. They're like, oh, no. <laughs> so anyway. what I needed was someone to be in like, look, you little weirdo, the Power Rangers thing doesn't work. We will defend you. But instead, they just stood there watching as crowds do. Now, Jesus doesn't know this yet, but at the center of the crowd, in the middle of all this, there's a kid who's having a demonic epileptic seizure. But when it happens, this crowd just, like, gawks at it. They just stare at it. It's one of the most annoying things, to put it lightly, when something goes wrong for people to just stare. And then, and then the next layer in the circle are, these, are the scribes. In the ancient world, law school was Bible study. So you studied the law of the Torah, and then you would you specialize in kind of interpretation of the Torah and the writing of contracts and all this stuff. And that's what the scribes do. They're somewhat overeducated legal scholars slash clergy. And when there's a kid in the middle having a demonic epileptic seizure, and there's, there's, there's Jesus' disciples trying to help, the scribes think that the most important and helpful thing they can do is turn this into a theological debate. Now again... Went to seminary. So these are kind of my people. And at my worst, I am them. I'm the one who's like, someone goes like, I've had a terrible day. And I am somehow all the way down the problem of evil and the omnipotence of God. Do you know what I mean? Don't come to me with your problems. I um, but, but it's one of, it's again, one of the most unhelpful things someone could do. As Dick Foth, the man who should be preaching, once said to me, when you go visit someone in the hospital... There's almost nothing you can say to make it better, and there's a whole lot you can say to make it worse. And, and the scribes have not learned that lesson. So there's the voyeuristic crowd, and there's the overeducated, somewhat debate-oriented clergy, and then there's the disciples. Now, to be fair to them, the disciples could be as young as 12 or as old as 28. We'll shoot for the middle. We'll say they're on average sixteen. I have learned a lot about sixteen-year-old boys recently, as I live with three hundred of them on top of a mountain. I have made a grave mistake, and um, and they're not evil, but they are destructive, and they have a lot of energy that moves in various places, and they always smell a little weird, and they, they um, all they want to do is score goals and touch each other and yell. That's all they're really interested in. So they're, you know, a little hapless. But these disciples have already had this experience where Jesus goes like, you 12, you 12, you go on a missions trip for a week and don't take anything with you. And um, if people tell them about the kingdom of God and heal them if they're sick and cast out demons if they have them, and what do you know? It works. And so the 12, they go out and they do the stuff. They do the kingdom stuff, and they come back rejoicing. So these hapless teenage boy disciples, they've had this experience before of them being able to do the stuff but now they're having an experience that I imagine you have also probably had, where you find yourself—and I don't mean to be judgmental—but you find yourself to be spiritually incompetent for the task in front of you. Someone comes to you for help; they come for you to you for advice, or you for prayer, and and you, as it turns out, you're you're—it feels like you're not good enough. The summer after I, I graduated UVA, um, someone who I had not known in Chi Alpha but was in Chi Alpha—if you know Chi Alpha. Um, asked if I would pray with her to receive the Holy Spirit, which, as you know, is kind of a thing. And when you receive the Holy Spirit, you're supposed to feel something. At best, you're supposed to do something, like levitate. But at least you're supposed to have a warm feeling, I mean, at the very least. And so I was, I was then at a church in Virginia Beach for the summer, and we sat down with, to pray in you know, the sanctuary kind of thing. And, um, I, I did the prayer. I did the, like, Lord Jesus come, we'll receive the Holy Spirit. And I did, you know, kind of like, are you feeling anything? And she's like, no. And I was like, we'll try again. And so we tried again. We tried again like four times. And at first I thought I was angry at God when she left. But in fact, I was, I, I was crippled somehow by the knowledge that I maybe, I don't know, it wasn't enough. and, and, Look, I'm not, I'm not trying to ruin the doctrine of grace or something or, or say that like, we are saved by our works or to say that what we need in life is more standards. We need more standards about how well or how poorly we're doing. But what I am saying is that Jesus promised the world that in his kingdom, things would be different. And if you choose to follow him and you kind of, you put the Jesus thing on your bumper, well, people should rightly expect that with us, things are different. And that if he could do the stuff, we could do the stuff. There's a, there's a journey of how that works. I mean, Christian life is growth, all granted, totally. But from a certain point of view, surely, surely, Jesus intends and we want things with people who follow him and bear his name to be different. To be able to love as he loves and heal as he heals and speak as he speaks. And, and they can't do it the voyeuristic crowd and the over clergy and the somewhat spiritually incompetent disciples. And then when Jesus goes, what are you fighting about? It's not the disciples, it's this guy who yells out from the crowd, my kid has a problem and, and no one can help. I, I don't have kids, again, single, 28, boys boarding school. But I'm told that when you have kids, it's sort of like someone takes your heart and, and births it outside of your body. And, and, now, and now, you know, actually your pain is easier to bear than witnessing the pain of this, of this other thing. At the opening of the Gospel of Luke, Mary and Joseph bring little Jesus into the temple to, um, to dedicate him to the Lord. And this old guy, Simeon, walks up totally uninvited and just starts giving him a bunch of advice. And one of the things he looks at Mary and he says, "And a sword will pierce your heart, also." The Gospels know the kind of pain this man is in, the pain of watching your child in pain. And then, at the center of the story, in the middle of the Irish prayer labyrinth, there's this boy who's got a he's got a demon. There's a human being who can't help himself. He can't beat the disease, he can't beat the addiction, he can't fix his relationships, he can't get the money, he, can't, he sees the problem, he lives the problem, he suffers the problem, he can't do anything about it. If you, were, if you were trying to write the stories about Jesus that convinced people to kind of like, join your movement, everything is great. A story where there's the unhelpful crowd and the debating religious authorities and the incompetent so. And at the center, my God, there's a demon. That is not the book you would write. If, however, he wanted to give a somewhat chillingly realistic account of what life can be like when it's at its worst, I think that's the story you'd, you'd write. You write, the crowd can't help, and the people who are supposed to help can't help, and I can't help my kid, and I can't help myself. And that's what Jesus walks into. He walks into, he comes off a mountaintop experience, and he walks He walks into this mess, and he tells the demon to leave. Okay, sidebar on demons. They're not scary. I know they sound scary. They're not that scary. Jesus grew up in a culture in which, um, if anything went wrong, it was a demon. Like, if you looked crazy or you had sneezed too hard, people thought you had a demon. We, by contrast, live in a culture in which, like, nothing is a demon at all. Which means, like, yeah... They might have overdone it. But when it comes to us, I think when we read stories about demons, we're like, I don't have a framework for that. That is very creepy. I don't, can't we just say it's epilepsy and call it a day? But, um, but I, I actually don't think demons themselves are scary. I think it's just we are, we are born into a culture that leaves us like deeply under-resourced. For thinking about or like feeling about or approaching things, it just feels like woo woo scary to us. So I just assure you, should you ever meet a demon, no reason to be scared. And in fact, this story, if it didn't have the last couple verses, would be just that. It would just be a story about a big bad demon and a little boy. And maybe the point of the sermon would then be if you're gonna be a real Christian, You got to believe in demons. But in actual fact, that is not what the story is about. The story is about Jesus defeating the demon, which is to say, I think, the point of this story, as those stories have only one point, but the point of this story is not that there are demons. It is that there is nothing, finally, that can stop the kingdom of God when it comes in its power. There's no crowd too indifferent. There's never too many people who went to seminary. There's never too many people that haven't learned the lessons they need to be, need to do to like really do the stuff with Jesus. There aren't not too many like not hardcore enough disciples. There's, there's no pain of being a parent that can stand in its way and there's no demon that can get you in its teeth that can finally keep you from the kingdom of God when it comes in its power. I think, there's, I think there's kind of two lessons in this story that Jesus gives. And there, there's there, two of the things he says. I'm sure there's more, but I noticed two. Um, and maybe put them this way. Lesson one is that faith is how the kingdom of God comes with power. And two is that prayer is the school of faith. So, so the one, the, the man comes to Jesus and says, you know, can't you do anything for my kid? And Jesus says, if you can All things are possible with God. This is one of those days where I wish I had a Bible with emphasis. Is Jesus being a touch sassy? Is like, if you can? Or is he just asking a question like, if you can? Or is he making a statement like, if you can? Or is there some other option? I don't know. Greek doesn't have a lot of punctuation. But he says it, if you can. All things are possible for one who believes. I don't know about you, but that to me sounds like bad news. Because there are lots of things going wrong around me, and if I could, I would stop them. Petty things in my personal life, or large things in society, or things in the lives of my friends. And the question is like, so are they going wrong because I don't faith enough? Is that, is that the upshot of this? I don't think so. I don't think so for two reasons. One, hard to imagine that Jesus was like, you can manifest anything you want into the world... It doesn't seem Jesus' style, especially if the center of his gospel is that the kingdom of God has come near. And by faith, Jesus does not mean like, well, believe in something. You know, there's like a version of faithing in our culture where it's like, if you just think it, it shall happen. And there's another version that's like, well, everyone's got to believe in something. The author Frederick Beekner, a man who I love very dearly, who died the day I started as a high school chaplain. Oh. He said, when I went to seminary, people didn't believe, they had lost faith in God, but they kept faith in faith. Also not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is also not talking about like the Westminster Catechism or the, or the Catholic Catechism or even, God forbid, the fundamental truths of the Assemblies of God. I think Jesus instead is talking about faith In him. The words for belief, faith, and trust in the Bible are all the same word, the Greek word pistis. Jesus here, I don't think, let's put a little commentary on it, just he doesn't mean anything is possible if you manifest it. I think what he's saying is there is nothing that is not possible in the coming of the kingdom of God for someone who really trusts me. And doesn't that just make sense? Like if Jesus' message is like, this new thing is happening in my life and in, of his eventual death and resurrection in my ministry and in my, surely the thing you would have to do is trust him. You'd have to go like, I don't get it all. But, but I'll, I'll, in, I'll invite you in with all that stuff. I, I kind of think it's real. So I, I think this first lesson is that it is trusting Jesus that is the avenue through which the kingdom of God comes. Lots of you know this already because you've done this. It's the moment where you stop asking God for advancements on like what's going to happen. You're like, okay, I'm just going to do it. We're just going to try it. We're just going to go. they so like, God can actually do something. Maybe in your work, maybe in your calling, maybe it was one of those crazy days where a miracle happened. But faith is how the kingdom of God comes. And when you hear that, maybe you then have this also unpleasant idea, oh me, oh my, I don't feel like I have faith all the time, which is exactly what the Father says. Did you clock that? Jesus goes, all things are possible for one who believes. And the Father goes like, well, I believe mostly. I believe sometimes. I believe kinda. I really try to believe which is what I would also say. And if you're probably being honest, what you would also say. I, I do. I mean it's real. It's not, it's not real. I do believe and I'm here and I buy it. But then there's also these things where I'm like, ah, I don't know if I can do that. And and so Jesus with compassion still heals his son. It's not that he doesn't heal his son, but at the end of the story, when Jesus goes, this kind can only be cast out by prayer. We kind of have two points on this theological corkboard. There is All things are possible for one who believes, but this kind can only be cast out by prayer. And if you put those together, I think what Jesus is saying is that prayer is the place where you learn the faith that brings the kingdom of God. And doesn't that also kind of make sense? Because I don't know if you know this, but that screen is not God. So when we stand up to pray together and you stare at the screen or you close your eyes, your eyelids also not being God, Prayer itself becomes an exercise of faith. You have to sort of think you're talking to someone who doesn't look or feel or seem to be there. And yet, we believe that when we pray, the Father who loves us hears us. Prayer itself is kind of an act of faith and the simplest act of faith. So, what I would like to do is offer some time to go to the school of faith in prayer. Um, The Bible can sometimes do this remarkable thing. It's almost like God uses it. Where the stories that the Bible is about, they'll like put you in the situation they're talking about. We have just lived for 25 minutes with a story about about Jesus bringing the kingdom of God with power. About him going through things that we've all been through the crowds and the clergy and the incompetence and the pain of them. And at the center of that, he has asked this question, do you believe it? And if you'd like to believe it, if you want to put faith in it, but you feel you need help with your unbelief, well, then we can go to the school of prayer. So as we close, this is what I'd like to do. I'd like to offer us some time. Stand if you want to stand, sit if you want to sit, do whatever makes you happy where we can be together in prayer for the faith that brings the kingdom of God. So as we close, pray with me, however you feel comfortable. Holy Spirit, um, faith is a gift that you give. And so we take whatever faith we already have and we use it to pray to you to say spirit who we cannot see and yet who knows us entirely would you make our lives places where your will is done where your kingdom comes here on earth as it is in heaven and that may have to start with this thing that bothers us. Indifference like the crowd, hard-heartedness like the scribes, a sense of failure like the disciples, the broken-heartedness of the Father, or maybe a real, genuine, actual issue. In faith, collectively, we hold these before you, trusting you and asking, that we would see this truth, that all things are possible for one who believes. May nothing stand in your way, Lord Jesus.